Chapter Eleven of the Revolt of the Angels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France, translated by Mrs. Wilfred Jackson. Chapter Eleven recounts in what manner the angel, attired in the cast-off garments of a suicide, leaves the youthful Maurice without a heavenly guardian. "'Reassure yourself, madam,' replied the apparition. "'Your position is not as risky as you say. You are not confronted with two men, but with one man and an angel.' she examined the stranger with an eye which piercing the gloom was anxiously surveying a vague but by no means negligible indication and asked monsieur is it quite certain that you are an angel the apparition prayed her to have no doubt about it and gave some precise information as to his origin there are three hierarchies of celestial spirits each composed of nine choirs. The first comprises the seraphim, cherubim, and the thrones. The second, the dominations, the virtues, and the powers. The third, the principalities, the archangels, and the angels properly so called. I belong to the ninth choir of the third hierarchy. Madame de Abel, who had her reasons for doubting this, expressed at least one you have no wings why should i madam am i bound to resemble the angels on your holy water stoops those feathery oars that beat the waves of the air in rhythmic cadences are not always worn by the heavenly messengers on their shoulders cherubim may be apterous that all-too-beautiful angelic pair who spent an anxious night in the house of Lot, compassed about by an oriental horde, they had no wings. No, they appeared just like men, and the dust of the road covered their feet, which the patriarch washed with pious hand. I would beg you to observe, madam, that according to the science of organic metamorphosis created by Lamarck and Darwin, the wings of birds have been successively transformed into forefeet in the case of quadrupeds and into arms in the case of the linnean primates and you may remember maurice that by a rather annoying reversion to type miss kate your english nurse who used to be so fond of giving you a whipping had arms very like the pinions of a plucked fowl one may say then that a being possessing both arms and wings is a monster and belongs to the department of teratology. In paradise we have cherubim and cherubs in the shape of winged bulls, but those are the clumsy inventions of an inartistic god. It is nevertheless true, quite true, that the victories of the temple of Athena Nike in the Athenian Acropolis are beautiful and possess both arms and wings. It is also true that the victory of Brescia is beautiful, with her outstretched arms and her long wings folded on her mighty loins. It is one of the miracles of Greek genius to have known how to create harmonious monsters. The Greeks never err. The moderns always. 
"'Yet on the whole,' said Madame des Abel, "'you have not the look of a pure spirit.' "'Nevertheless, I am one, Madame, if ever there was one. And it ill becomes you, who have been baptized, to doubt it. Several of the fathers, such as St. Justin, Tertullian, Origen, and Clement of Alexandria, thought that the angels were not purely spiritual, but possessed a body formed of some subtle material. This opinion has been rejected by the church. Hence, I am merely spirit. But what is spirit and what is matter? Formerly, they were contrasted as being two opposites, and now your human science tends to reunite them as two aspects of the same thing. It teaches that everything proceeds from ether and everything returns to it, that the same movement transforms the waves of air into stones and minerals, and that the atoms scattered throughout illimitable space form, by the varying speed of their orbits, all the substance of this material world. But Madame de Abel was not listening. She had something on her mind, and to put an end to her suspense she asked, how long have you been here? I came with Maurice. Well, that's a nice thing, said she, shaking her head. But the angel continued with heavenly serenity. Everything in the universe is circular, elliptical, or hyperbolic, and the same laws which rule the stars govern this grain of dust. In the original and native movement of its substance, my body is spiritual, but it may affect, as you perceive, this material state, by changing the rhythm of its elements. Having thus spoken, he sat down in a chair on Madame de Abel's black stockings. A clock struck outside. "'Good heavens! Seven o'clock!' exclaimed Gilbert. "'What am I to say to my husband?' He thinks I am at that tea-party in the Rue de Rivoli. We are dining with the La Verdeliers tonight. Go away immediately, Monsieur Arcadi. I must get ready to go. I have not a second to lose. The angel replied that he would have willingly obeyed Madame de Abel had he been in a state to show himself decently in public but that he could not dream of appearing out of doors without any clothes. "'Were I to walk naked in the street,' he added, "'I should offend a nation attached to its ancient habits, habits which it has never examined. They are the basis of all moral systems. Formerly,' he added, "'the angels, in revolt like myself, manifested themselves to Christians under grotesque and ridiculous appearances, black, horned, hairy, and cloven-footed. Pure stupidity! They were the laughing-stock of people of taste. They merely frightened old women and children and met with no success. "'It is true he cannot go out as he is,' said Madame de Abel with justice. Maurice tossed his pajamas and his slippers to the celestial messenger. Regarded as outdoor habiliments, they were not adequate. 
Gilbert pressed her lover to run at once in quest of other clothes. He proposed to go and get some from concierge. She was violently opposed to this. It would, she said, be madly imprudent to drag the concierge into such an affair. "'Do you want them to know that—' she exclaimed. She pointed to the angel and was silent. Young Desparvieux went out to seek a clothes shop. Meanwhile, Gilbert, who could not delay any longer for fear of causing a horrible society scandal, turned on the light and dressed before the angel. She did it without any awkwardness, for she knew how to adapt herself to circumstances, and she took it that in such an unheard-of encounter in which heaven and earth were mingled in unutterable confusion, it was permissible to retrench in modesty. Moreover, she knew that she possessed a good figure and had garments as dainty as the fashion demanded. As the apparition's sense of delicacy would not permit him to don Maurice's pajamas, Gilbert could not help observing by the lamplight that her suspicions were well-founded, and that angels have the same appearance as men. Curious to know if the appearance were real or imaginary, she asked the child of light if angels were like monkeys, who, to win women, merely lack money. Yes, Gilbert, replied Arcadi, angels are capable of loving mortals. It is the teaching of the scriptures. It is said in the seventh book of Genesis, when men become numerous on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took as wives all those which pleased them. Good heavens! cried Gilbert all at once. I shall never be able to fasten my dress. It hooks down the back. When Maurice entered the room, he found the angel on his knees, tying the shoes of the woman taken in flagranti delicto. Taking her muff and her bag off the table, she said, I have not forgotten anything? No. Good night, Monsieur Arcadi. Good night, Maurice. I shall not forget today. And she vanished like a dream. Here, said Maurice, throwing the angel a bundle of clothes. The young man, having seen some dismal rags lying among clarionets and clister pipes in the window of a second-hand shop, had bought for nineteen francs the cast-off suit of some wretched sable-clad mortal who had committed suicide. The angel, with native majesty, took the garments and put them on. Worn by him, they took on an unexpected elegance. He took a step to the door. "'So you are leaving me?' said Maurice. "'It's settled, then?' I very much fear that some day you will bitterly regret this hasty action. I must not look back. Adieu, Maurice. Maurice timidly slipped five louis into his hand. Adieu, Arcadi. But when the angel had passed through the door, and all that was to be seen of him in the doorway, 
was his uplifted heel, Maurice called him back. Arcadi, I never thought of it. I have no guardian angel now. Quite true, Maurice, you have one no longer. Then what will become of me? One must have a guardian angel. Tell me, are there not grave drawbacks? Is there no danger in not having one? Before replying, Maurice, I must ask you if you wish me to speak to you according to your belief, which formerly was my own, according to the teaching of the Church and the Catholic faith, or according to natural philosophy. I don't care a straw for your natural philosophy. Answer me according to the religion I believe in, and which I profess, and in which I wish to live and die. Very well, my dear Maurice. The loss of your guardian angel will probably deprive you of certain spiritual succor, of certain celestial grace. I am expressing to you the unvarying opinion of the church on the matter. You will lack an assistance, a support, a consolation which would have guided and confirmed you in the way of salvation. You will have less strength to avoid sin, and as it was you hadn't much. In fact, in spiritual matters, you will be without strength and without joy. Adieu, Maurice. When you see Madame de Abelle, please remember me to her. You are going? Farewell. Arcadi disappeared, and Maurice, in the depths of an armchair, sat for a long time with his head in his hands. End of chapter 11